the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 6-11 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me see here. Where was I? Oh, we were dealing with the good and the bad and the ugly of self-driving cars. And I, I let me just finish up on the ugly side as the article is putting it. Uh, as they are giving us an assessment of, of, of the pragmatics and some of the uh, the, the consequences of, of self-driving cars. Again, this is by uh, Science and Technology. So listen to this. They say that uh, uh, what about accidents that do occur? What about accidents that are unavoidable? Now, I love this because this is about reasoning through elements about artificial intelligence that we will really have to talk about. Uh, and then I'll tell you about a movie I saw the same night. In fact, this is what, what was weird. I said, you know, I'm going to talk about this. That's the same night after I had uh, finished up the ministry with the men on that Saturday and had seen uh, the, the Tesla that my son-in-law was driving and went on in the house and prepared to eat my salad and do some other things. Same night, there was a movie I watched. It just inadvertently, a movie came on and, and there were, Three actors in the movie. Now, the the main actor was a female, and she was the young lady in the movie. Uh, it's called um, "It'll Come Back to Me." It uh, has to do with uh, Hunger 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 Games. Hunger Games. You guys know the lady, some of you. And then the uh, the other actor, I forget his name, young Caucasian brother, handsome brother, one of those kind of superhero looking brothers. And then the other brother in the movie was Lawrence Fishburne. Now, Lawrence Fishburne was this kind of uh, enigmatic character who was a captain. And what was going on in the movie was that uh, for some reason, the world uh, that we know it on planet Earth was either um, becoming worse and bad and destroyed or was on the brink of destruction. And they were satelliting people out into space, trajectorying them way out in space uh, to land on another planet. Uh, and they were on these self-sustaining, uh, like, satellite ships. just And they were in a sleep state. They had put them to sleep. And they could be in, be asleep as long as 80 years. I don't know how that worked. Maybe the body and cells and all that could freeze and then you thaw out. I don't know what the case. But in any event, the, the movie was about how we would have created artificial intelligence to the level and degree that we would put our life uh, in the hands of computers to put us to sleep in almost a death state and then resurrect us, if you will, uh, when we reach the planet that some, you know, uh, 40, 50 uh, million light years away, 8, 10, 20, 30, 80 years. I don't know the number specifically, but the movie was fascinating because one of the young men ended up waking up and he knew because he had woke up, he was going to have to do this journey conscious for 80 years. And he walking around with all of these tubes of people in him that are asleep, and he decides to wake up the sister because <laughs> he needs some company. He's going to be on this thing for 80 years. He needs some company. And uh, she didn't like it, but Providence had it that he woke her up 
because that 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 satellite was getting ready to run into some major meteor showers that were going to hit the satellite ship and do major damage, if not destroy it. And the 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 kind of theme of the movie was that if if human beings are not in control, artificial intelligence does not have the ability to anticipate certain things and solve them. So let's go back to the self-driving cars. I got two people on the line. You guys hold on. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Now, I want you to think this one through because this is where ethics come in at. So stay with me now. The results have shown that human error has played a primary role in almost every reported accident with self with, with even self-driving cars. This is the ugly. But the increased use of self-driving vehicles will, in, will inevitably involve more accidents, including fatal ones. We were surprised when we heard about a self-driving car uh, on uh, on Crow Canyon Road jumping over an embankment and going down into a ravine and how that happened. And so we've seen two or three of those accidents. Haven't heard much since. In May of last year, the fatal crash of a self-driving Tesla in Florida applied the strongest brakes to the self-driving car movement and tempered enthusiasm. In the incident, a tractor trailer made an ill-advised left turn into an oncoming traffic and the white side of the trailer against a brightly lit sky wasn't picked up by the vehicle nor the driver who was still behind the wheel. The self-driving car did not see the tractor trailer. Uh Uh-oh. So who is responsible for this accident, the rider or the manufacturer? This was the first case of of a fatality from an automation era. But a bigger ethical question looms. How will we program self-driving vehicles to confront situations where an accident is inevitable? Did you hear that? How will we program self-driving vehicles where an accident is inevitable? Now, watch the argument here. What if the outcome varies based on different maneuvers? Here we go. Let me illustrate by example, he says. Car A and car B are two self-driving cars that are side-by-side on a highway. An inattentive child darts in front of the car on the left, that is car A. The car's computer notices the child and calculates the following options. Option one, swerve left to avoid both the child and the other car. Head into the median where the car's A rider has a 60% chance of survival. That's his choice. Choice number two, swerve right to avoid the child but collide with car B from the passenger side where car A's rider has an 80% chance of survival but car's B driver has just a 30% chance of survival. Option three, apply the brake swiftly but maintain a straight course. The child has a 1% chance of survival. Car A's rider now has a 99% chance of survival and car B won't be impacted at all. Whoa. See it? Yep. This is where, well, I'm not going to give away the fundamental moral of my concern. I think you'll get it. And I'm looking forward to talking with you. But with a self-driving car that can run calculations and make decisions in a fraction of a second, how would we want it to respond? That is to say, how would we program it? Should it swerve left to assume the lowest odds at killing someone, although the highest risk would fall on the car rider's owner? Should it swerve right to protect a child 
even if it risks the adult driver? Should it stay the course to protect the safety of its owner above all others? Ooh. An ethical dilemma like this should give us pause. The more that we allow technology to interact with us in the world, the more we force technology to confront ethical dilemmas. In the case of self-driving cars, we are literally placing a potential killing machine, a two-ton vehicle, in the control of a computer. We have reached the ugly. Let's pass over the murky question of environmental impact and the legal uncertainties of potential lawsuits and go to the clear winner. Now, he continues advisedly to talk about different things along those lines. But you can see now by our conversation that the idea of just giving a computer control over our lives does not solve major critical problems, does it? It just really doesn't. In fact, it can actually increase those problems because the one thing that a computer cannot do in a fraction of a moment is actually make the right moral and ethical choice because that is a human intuition that cannot be duplicated or replicated by a machine. As much as we will pour into that machine, all of the the probabilities, all of the possibilities, all of the options, and with its algorithms, try to make the best choice. Now we're back at Star Trek, right? Dr. Spock, right? If y'all remember watching it, Spock would make decisions that that Captain uh, Kirk wouldn't because Captain Kirk is operating out of a human intuition system and Spock is dealing with pure uh, objective alien logic. Sometimes Spock is right. A lot of times Spock is wrong. And he's just nipped as to why he's wrong. I'm going to take a break. And when I come back, we're going to talk more. I've got two lines open. I'm ready to talk with some people. I've got two lines open. one 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 625. I am talking to you about the future, which is actually now. Um, and how artificial intelligence plays a role in our lives, uh, even at the subtle level of our computers, which is what your cell phone is. Uh, and many aspects of our lives are dominated by them. We are in a world where the trajectory of artificial intelligence will become the framework for which our Existence and in many ways our survival will occur. The two plane crashes that we are aware of that occurred uh, about a week or so ago was the consequence of the failure of sensors on the planes, which is part of your computer system. What a tragedy, because you're supposed to have a pilot and a co-pilot who is serving the task of making sure that the plane navigates its way from point A to point B, its destination, with as minimal problems as possible. But the pilot could not override the the error in the computer. This is why Donald Trump had to had to, uh, as it were, uh, just shut down all of those particular 737 Max airplanes. He had to just land them. They had to all be put down. Now, it doesn't give us comfort to think that we're flying in a tube And we're going from point A to point B. And yes, by and large, we've had really good success. 
But when it's our turn, if we're in that tube and we're we're nose diving into the ocean or into the mountains or whatever, as a consequence of a computer that we cannot override by human control and human innovation. See, so what I'm going to be asking you is simply this. What is it going to take for us to be um, completely artificially intelligent driven? What is it going to take? What is it going to take in the technological world, the world of ethics, the world of of uh, technology, as they will be continually implementing these tools? What is it going to take for us to have what we would consider the more optimal world with positive outcomes uh, in the in the realm of artificial intelligence? What is it going to take uh, to make sure that occurs? It's really one word. One thing has to occur for us to be completely artificially intelligent driven. One word begins with a C. Let me go to line number three and talk with Gerald in Richmond. Gerald in Richmond, are you there? Yes. What's your question, comment, or observation about what we're talking about? Well, I see three uh, elements uh, as far as the AI. Uh huh. I'll just rattle them off quickly. One, uh, you, you you faintly intimated the value of the child affecting the computer's reckoning. Yeah. But what about the value of all the people in the cars? What if the elites are driving or are in car B, and their lives are then programmed as having more value than someone else? And then uh, what about uh, the value of the so-called oppressed certain people uh, who are deemed uh, as more worthy to live and less worthy to live, for instance, if the state, like in China, uh, they're really oppressing the Christian church, uh, how would they program the Christian driving its value? And what about uh, murder by government or hacker intentionally gaining control? And what about uh, the, the, the almost certain lack of mercy that the government will have Toward anyone who owes money and wants to drive, I appreciate the I appreciate the uh, the thoughtfulness on that, Gerald, because that's really kind of where I'm going. Uh, if you heard my opening monologue on liberty without virtue uh, is a curse. I don't know if you heard it, but that was a premise towards where we are today in our discussion around artificial intelligence. If in fact we are living in the present era. Uh, under the same kind of human malady that existed in the days of the monarchy, uh, King Charles and and King James and <clears throat> King Henry the first and second and and Queen Mary and and many of the uh, aristocratic powers of England uh, and Europe uh, that that had these kind of prejudices that you're talking about. And I would have no doubt personally, Gerald, that many of our elite leaders around the world that are dominating much of the global economic um, agenda would also have these kinds of interest in view. You were, you were making the observation that what if in car B, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the politicians are in car B and uh, the little popper, uh, you know, uh, and let's call him the independent uh, entrepreneur is in car A. And and the child runs out. Um, well, if we're going to sub- succumb to an artificial intelligence world, what's being inferred in your statement, Gerald, is, and this is where I'm going, who's in control? 
Who's dictating the parameters? Who's determining outcomes? Who's framing the choices? And why? What is the fundamental uh, uh, substratum of their ethical framework, their their understanding and epistemological comprehension of everything relative to the power they have to make these decisions? Who's doing that? You paint an awful picture, my brother, of the assumption that artificial intelligence is going to be operating from the premise of the highest and most noble good. But I go back to my fundamental argument as I opened up the program. Liberty without virtue is a curse. And if men are not operating out of the fear of God and then therefore ruling in the sight of God on principles that hold to the highest degree absolute uh, equality of persons uh, as being valuable with an eternal verity, then yeah, those individuals that are programming the car and the planes and all of this other artificial intelligence, Gerald, that's, that's going to be as intimately involved in our lives as the lights being cut on and the heater being able to be cut on because this is all called the smart world, goals 2000 already prophesied this many, many decades ago. This is the global uh, control factor starting to, to weave its web on a, uh, on a more intricate level. And I'm sure you know this because I know you know something about some of the eschatological frameworks that are in play here and being employed. So uh, the fundamental question that you're asking is really the question that I'm asking. Who's in control? Yes. Well, we, we already know the link between uh you know with Hume and whatnot that that science becomes God and since AI becomes the highest reflection of science, therefore uh, this anti-Christian world imputes to it uh, moral uh, moral justification and no longer is Leviticus saying everyone is looked at as equal before the judge but, People are looked at as valued according to their scientific con- contribution to the, the the world order that creates oneness, quote unquote. And uh, I mean, we can see where that's going. No, no, no guessing. No doubt about it. And I thank you for that contribution. Of course, we're going to be taking this up more in the future as um, uh, Orson Welles' uh, sort of prescient idea of Big Brother presses down on us uh, a lot more. We're just not going to be able to get away from it. It is a fundamental uh, trajectory of a prophetic level. And I'm just now starting to have the conversation with us because if we are walking around sleep, if we're not thinking through the underlying framework for or what appears to be uh, good, bad, and ugly, then we're just going to be slaves to it. We won't be able to make choices that are uh, consistent with an ultimately biblical, morally uh, uh, responsible calling. So thank you for the call. Let me see here. Am I due to break? Uh, Am I due to break? Okay, I'm going to take a break. Then I'll come back and get the rest of you uh, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. You guys hold on. Three of you got one line open, one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. Gerald actually was saying a lot of things that he didn't say. That if you understand anything about where we're going in our world, uh, you'd know that he has thought this through very carefully, and you have to think it through too. Uh, we don't want to be the blind being led by the blind, and I'll be right back. 
And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back at the time, 641. We are in our last segment. We have one line open if you want to join us. one 367 5329 Before I go to the phone lines, you heard Taraji P. Henson speaking of the movie coming out in April, The Best of Enemies. The Best of Enemies is said to be a heartfelt and timely untold story true story of the unlikely relationship and later friendship between fearless activist Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis, who against all odds came together to help initiate change in their community of Durham, North Carolina. A timely drama that inspires a sense of optimism that the divisiveness within uh, our current times can be healed. The story is powerful, inspirational, and thought-provoking. Academy Award winner nominee Taraji P. Henson uh, and Academy Award winner Sam Rockwell are at their best. The powerful true story of a black female activist, really hero, leading the charge for change in the 1970s for her community. And it comes out on April 5th. And I think you can go online and watch the trailer. So I do want to encourage you guys to think about that. The best of enemies. We're coming out of Matthew chapter 5, and Christ says, love your enemies. I think that might uh, facilitate some interest on your part. If I have the time, I will certainly indeed go and see it. Let me go to line number uh, four and talk with Venus and Hayward right quick. A very important topic we want to address for a moment. Venus, are you there? Yes, Pastor Jesse, how you doing? I've been listening. Good, good. We're going to just segue for a moment before we go back to my topic with my other callers, because there's some very important uh, information here. Talking about another film, I mean, uh, I just spoke about uh, the film um, The Best of Enemies that's coming out, but you have some information about a a very good documentary that should be seen. You want to tell us about it briefly? Yes, it's funny when you were talking, I was thinking about, wow, are they going to ever put robots in the court, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's already happening. <laughs> it, it is, actually. Okay, it's right. already happening. Yeah, well, um, you know, this has to do with uh, systemic abuse, you know, and this film called The Guardians Examines the Systemic Abuse of Elderly People in Society that are being, you know, forcibly, you know, um, robbed of their assets, forcibly taken out of their homes and put into substandard facilities sometimes, allowed to decline and deteriorate or either their drugs, right. their will. Right. And then the court comes in and then robs their assets and takes them and doesn't give family members their rights, depends, especially if there's conflict. As you know, I personally went through this myself, so... This film, The Guardians, is based out of Las Vegas, Nevada, what happened in Las Vegas, where they were actually going into a retirement community, court order, taking the elderly people out of their homes. You have to come with me, three choices, jail, psychiatric ward, or assisted living. Right. The adult children were coming in and going, where are my parents? Right. I know one lady, Julie Belshi, personally, who dealt with it, and she's in the film. This is her father, we used to see on the uh, flyer. Right. You know? Um, I need you to. I need you to. I need you to stand still somewhere because you're like fading in and out. I was trying to because you're making a very clear. Um, you're making a very clear um, um, assessment and and uh, you know explaining what you're talking about. But I don't want you going in and out because you're, you're, it's hard to hear you. Um, but okay. so you want to continue? I was walking around, right? Getting emotional, right? Okay. Yep. <laughs> Uh, you can't say that, but everyone pretty much you think they caught that. Should I say it again? No, you you know you were pretty you were pretty good, uh, but you, now we're talking about the actual film. It's called The Guardian, right? 
there's Call the Guardians, um, filmmaker Billy Mintz mm-hmm. did a wonderful um, job, an investigative film, a documentary film, very great quality, produced very well. Um, we're going to have a free screening in Hayward right. at the City Hall, and Supervisor Richard Vallier, thank God, is hosting this. We did have one with Supervisor Nate Miley in Oakland January 11th. Right. So, you know, they're keeping it moving, and this one will be Thursday, March the 28th at 5 p.m., Hayward City Hall, Room 2A, and that's 777 B Street in Hayward. All community, all areas are welcome. Uh, Please RSVP. I have that information, too. And uh, the um, office director, her name is Jeannie DiMartini, Mm -hmm. and her phone number is 510- Six seven zero six one five zero, or you can email her at g i n n y dot, and that's a d martini, just like martini, but d e before it. Mm-hmm. At a c g o v dot org. Now the topic that you're dealing with is personal with you because you've been through it, which actually opened your eyes. Uh, Venus, to the system that we're talking about um, and and how uh, intricate it is at actually devastating families when uh, when something of this nature occurs. Uh, and I don't you know, I'm sure people don't get it as being important until it happens to one of their relatives like it did to you. Uh, and and then they might get the fact that uh, there is a kind of um, uh, intrinsically uh, systematized elder of abuse that's not happening by a private corporation or private industry, but this even rises to the level of some political leaders. Correct? Exactly. You know, and especially like I said, within the. Uh, court system, like, you know, we're Alameda County. So, like I always say to everyone and other advocates that we we work to make a difference here is that we don't know who's in bed together. Right. Is it our politicians? Is it our, you know, the, you know, DA office? You know, is it our public defender's office? You know, some don't know. I mean, at that particular screen that we had with Nate Miley, a lot of people didn't have this on their radar. Right. You know, one of the public defenders did not know. Right. And then some people, we don't get a response from. And we wonder, are we not getting a response because, <laughs> you know, are you well, paid under the table? What's going on? Right. Because well, there's a paper are- trail. There's a paper trail and a money trail that will begin to uh, expose probably an extremely criminal element that does reach the levels of Sacramento. And that's what I was saying, that when I watched that uh, particular um that's that that uh that that town hall meeting that was given back a couple of months ago that you're referring to and the different persons who experienced that and some of the the people that basically uh that that supported and put on that 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 town hall i was like okay okay there are people who know that these things are going on and hopefully this will become uh, a process by which people will become more and more and more exposed to what will occur to some of our elderly if we just let them fall through the cracks 
into that kind of system. And this is why I think it's a very good thing that you are uh, that you're calling attention to it, Venus, by uh, by sharing pamphlets and flyers. And I've got a CD on The Guardian. I'm going to be watching it for sure. And if I have the availability to be there, I want to be there. But I'm certainly uh, calling upon people that are listening to think about the fact that they may be an elderly person or they may have elderly uh, family members who will fall ill and need to use uh, convalescent resources. And they need to know how that system traps you if you're not careful so that you don't find yourself losing resources, money, property and things of that nature um, just because you can get blindsided by that system. And uh, I think this is very important to talk about. I really do. And I appreciate that you that you're taking the time to uh, talk to our audience about it. I wish, in fact, we had an opportunity opportunity to to remind them um uh, days before the 28th on the 25th, but we won't. Uh, but we're going to pray that many people come out, and I'm sure they will. I'm sure there will be a, a good representation of people who know that this needs to actually be understood, it needs to be comprehended, and it needs to be shared with. So thanks for the call and the contribution, and uh, we'll talk later, okay? Okay, and I just want to say this, Pastor, just before I go, you mentioned something, you said property, and that's one of the biggest things, you know, generational wealth isn't being passed on. Right. And so I was just speaking to a lot of people at church. You have your trust, you have yep. your, you know, you're, you're talking to your family members, yep. and the answer was a lot of the times, no. Yep. And that's the thing, we want to educate, it's going to take we the people, like you said earlier, On the ground you know, level. they're taking away our rights, yeah. you know, constitutional rights. Right. And, we got to stand. You got to kind of stand, fight, pray, and go in. Yep. <laughs> because it's not okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Right, Liberty time. without virtue is a curse. Liberty without virtue is a curse. Let me go to line number two and talk with Mark in San Jose. Mark, what have you to say about artificial intelligence? Nothing. I want to talk about James Comey's speech, and hopefully KFAX listeners will come out Thursday. Are you planning to attend to rebuke James Comey? No, I'm not. I'm not rebuking James Coney. He has a right to speak like everybody Comey. else does. Comey. Comey. Uh, he has uh, a, well, you, you're talking to uh, James Comey. Hold on. I'm sorry. Oh, that's James Comey. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Michael Coney. I thought you were talking about no. the... the. Uh, so now, who is James Comey? Yeah, exactly. Who is he? Who, who is M- Mark. He? Uh, he's, Mark. He's the head of the FBI. M- Mark. Don't, d- Mark, you ain't got about a few minutes, so don't preach. Get clear. Who is he? He is the sinner that lied about Trump, okay, basically, inadvertently, because he was told by uh, Loretta Lynch, okay, who was the attorney general, uh, shortly after Bill Clinton and her met privately on the plane, to uh, call the Clinton investigation a matter. Okay, that's who James Comey is. He's lied several times, and he's going to be at De Anza College Thursday. And I am What is he doing there? Savage, Craig... Uh, just spewing forth more lies. Well, what? Forth more lies. Well, well, they, well. They had, well, what do you want to do? What? Do, what are you going to do? Go protest him? I guess so. I'm just going to pray and protest and preach and you know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, Sessman and and Savage. It would make great talk radio if you and Craig Roberts. No, no, there. I'm not talking about it. I didn't already told you what I talk about. I'm not talking about that. I'll let that work itself out. All A lot of those guys got a lot of problems going on. Now, they just got a lot of problems. Now, I didn't know that James Comey is is um, is is going around doing speeches. I mean, what, what would be the purpose for that speech? Yeah, you would think he would be ashamed of himself, wouldn't you? 
if mean, he's uh, if he's going around lying, how come they how come Trump hasn't put him in jail? Well, maybe uh, Christians aren't praying and fasting enough. No, that's not that's not that's a cop out. That's a total cop out. I'm asking you why hasn't Trump ex- executed the right powers? He has he has executive power to stop somebody from li- libelness. He could do that. This guy's going around saying something that you're asserting is a as a bold-faced lie filled with any uh, any kind of uh evidential facts. If that's the case, Trump needs to be all on top of him. Yeah, and about 3 or 4 months before uh you know, uh, they officially announced that Hillary Clinton was innocent of all charges. Uh, they already they had evidence that they were going to say that. It was a done deal. When Loretta Lynch, you know, said it's going to be a matter, they had already determined that this matter would <laughs> find nothing. See, that's why I'm saying this is not a world. This is not a world changing event. This is not a world changing event. Two things. This is not a world changing event. Um, Trump is going to be fine. He won't be impeached. He'll be in this term. He'll make the next term. And I don't say that because I like Trump. I really there's a whole lot of problems with Trump as far as I'm concerned. But these nefarious charges that are being rendered here from the side that you're talking about, this James Comey, he already shot all of his bullets long ago and got exposed by different media outlets. I'm just wondering why he thinks going around doing these little town halls is going to help him out. I, I I really don't know why, but here's here's the last thing that I'm going to say to you since you you, you called in with that. Uh, be careful that you don't get distracted from preaching the gospel. All right, thanks. Let me go to line number one and cl- I'll close out with Misty. All right, Misty, we're talking artificial intelligence. Hey, I got a few things to say here. Let me cut to the chase real quick. Obviously, we don't need self-driving cars. That's just ridiculous, and I, I, uh, I, I, I can't even like speak to the issue because it's so, it's so bad. Well, you have to. Let okay. me ask you a question. Do you drive? I got, but you got five minutes before you close out. Do you drive? Do you drive? My name, yes, I do drive. Okay, so you, you, you couldn't use, Misty. You couldn't use a car that would obey you and let you rest with this arduous ministry that you are involved in, don't you? Couldn't you see? Being able to have a just hit a button and the car take you all throughout San Francisco, which is your turf, and just kind of let you rest a little bit. You can't see that. No, I want to make these points though that are really important. One, you have a two-hour show. You talked to monologue for an hour and a half. I, 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 I was merciful today to let you guys talk. I was going to talk the whole time because I know the topic that I'm talking about is important, even though I know you don't think it's important. Because I know you like to hear yourself talk, and I think it's a problem. I think you do too, Misty. Misty, I think you do too. I like to hear your callers. I wasn't going to let them talk about. Look here, now hold on for a second. I have four callers today. And only one of them was able to actually even talk about the topic. That was Gerald. You heard Mark, and Venus was talking about submails, and you're talking about submails too. No, because you brought up a lot of different things, and these things are important. The uh, politics is important, and as a Christian, I also do 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 politics along with it. But the Lord, you know, the Lord is in control in control over all these other scenarios. But when I'm talking to the call, when I'm talking to the show, this is the show you have on air. People are waiting on hold. I unfortunately, and I'm out here on the front line. I don't have an hour to wait on hold. I like to hear callers, and I want to hear what they have to say. And I think you really need to change that because I'm not going to be calling in. When it's the same thing, you let people talk for the last 15, 20 minutes. You've got a two-hour call. 
you can show you can have 20, 20, 23 calls on. Oh, that would be you catastrophous. Get- Girl, do you you don't know what you're talking about. Misty, I love you. That would be catastrophic. And this is not a, this is not about people coming in like every 20 seconds having something to say. If we had that kind of program, we'd be all over Timbuktu. I'm sorry, that would never work. It would just it just would not work. I'm sorry. Now, and I know you're going to still listen because you've been listening for like many, many years anyway, even though you get upset when I take the time to kind of monopolize the air. I don't always do it, but I did do it this time. So maybe there'll be another occasion where you'll call in because you'll have something to say about that. But this time I really did want to talk about two things, liberty without virtue being a curse and that whether we like it or not, It's on top of us, and we will have to make decisions around it that in many cases will be personal. Uh, Some cases it will be economic. On other cases, it will be uh, it will be p- a political. It's that's going to happen. This was a this was a very important. This was an information show today that I thought was absolutely needed. I very seldom do this, by the way. So Misty is not not getting it. Very seldom do I uh, just talk about a particular topic for two hours. I do have the phone lines open, and we have an average of six to seven people every program. But uh, I wanted to take the time to do that, and uh, you guys can call in and. and uh, let me know uh, next week what you think about it. And if we have an opportunity, we'll continue to do that. We are on the end of our spectrum. You can raise that music up. I'm glad to hear it, too. Um, and uh, love you guys. Lord willing, we'll see you next time. Until then, keep your eyes on Christ. And uh, and remember, he's in control. Like Misty said, he is in control. We'll see you next time. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flint. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.